This morning's scripture reading comes from 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of God is glory and the Spirit of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him be not ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true. And even the hard ones are given to us in love. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Ben Milner, and um, we're going through <clears throat> First Peter at Salem Presbyterian Church, where I'm a pastor. And um, First Peter is written to um, these Gentile Christians, people who have converted out of paganism uh, in Asia Minor. So today it would be northeastern Turkey. And there were several cities there that Peter is writing this letter to that he probably had visited for some time, um, maybe helped start those churches. And so I want you to imagine one person, let's say uh, his name Spartacus or some, some kind of Roman name, and this, uh, this man is a Roman citizen who is um, a, a, a landowner outside of a city like Cappadocia, one of these large cities, and he runs uh, this big household of servants, which is what they had back then. You'd have a big, this, this guy would have his family, all the servants, uh, their families, so they might have had 20, 30 people. A lot of the early churches met in these homes, so this man um, is, a, is a wealthy man. He, um, he goes to the gladiatorial games. He goes to the toga parties, to the baths, the Roman baths, and uh, he's happily married with a mistress, as often was the case back then. Um, one of his servants begins to talk to him about Jesus, who he's never heard of, this Jewish Messiah the Christ, and he's intrigued because the, maybe the servant's character has been completely transformed. Uh, he's not lazy anymore. He's, uh, he doesn't steal anymore. He's absolutely faithful. Um, and so he goes to the house church of this servant, and he hears uh, the sermon preached. He hears the gospel spoken. His heart is, is cut. Uh, he hears his sins revealed. He gets saved. Uh, he goes through the, the year-long catechesis that they would have done back then where they're training them how to live as a Christian. He gets baptized, and they tell him, look, no more toga parties, no more baths, no more gladiators. Different life now. And so um, he begins to lose friends. His wealthy friends begin to make fun of him. You know, they say he's unenlightened. He's not patriotic. He doesn't worship Caesar anymore. He's a killjoy. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't enjoy the parties anymore. Maybe he's sexually repressed. He's naive. All these things. Peter says in 1 Peter 4, 4, when, they, when you no longer plunge with him into all this reckless dissipation, they cannot understand it and they vilify you accordingly. So his friends don't understand it. They vilify him because he's not 
plunging into their reckless dis- dissipations. And one day, he's at church, and he, uh, he hears this letter read. This man named Silvanus comes to church, and he, he reads this letter from Rome from Peter himself. So this man now, Spartacus, is hearing this letter read from Rome from Peter himself. And Peter says, uh, one, I understand that you're suffering. I see you. And I want you to know that um, you're being purified by your suffering. You know, imagine the comfort that would give this man. Uh, you're being purified by your suffering because God is, is filling the earth with his holiness. God's holiness is coming upon the earth. And because his holiness is coming through Christ, broken out of the Holy of Holies, spreading out over the earth, therefore, um, when his holiness you know, makes contact with your unholiness, uh, you're being purified. So that's what I want to look at. I want to look at the way um, Peter talks about these two things. That number one, our suffering, suffering as a believer purifies us. And then number two, it's because of the holiness of God uh, making contact with us who, who are not holy. So uh, look at verse 12, the very beginning there. I notice he calls them beloved. So Peter loves these people. A lot of times the, the apostles address their congregations as beloved. That's a beautiful word that we've lost quite a bit of, but um, it's a great word to use for people. Um, so, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial. The fiery trial, um, the word fiery is a very strong word for heat. This would be a very, very high temperature at which uh, even a metal, even a precious metal could melt down. So it's a fiery trial. Um, and it says in verse 12 that it, it has come upon you to test you. And testing refers to the process of refining gold. Um, so that's a specific uh, process that Peter's referring to. This fiery trial is testing you. In other words, it's burning, burning away your impurities. It's, it's burning away dirt and clay and iron. It takes uh, about 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit to reach that temperature where uh, the, 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 the metal has become this kind of molten, um, this white molten material that you can then pour. So that's what he's talking about. Your sufferings are uh, 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 so hot that they can refine you. Uh, Proverbs twenty-seven twenty-one says, like fire that refines gold. And when fire refines gold, what it leaves behind is this um, brilliant, very heavy metal, much heavier than if the impurities were there, and it's just shining with luster. If you've seen pure gold, you know it's, it's very heavy and it shines brightly. And this is what Peter is saying our trials do. Um, not just uh, spectacular suffering, but, you know, run-of-the-mill suffering. All of our trials, all the trials we face, uh, whether you're, you know, a young adult, uh, whether you're a kid in school, whether you're an adult or have kids, uh, teenagers, um, if you're at the end of your life, all the suffering that we encounter in the different ways, Peter's saying this is fiery trial. It tests you. And look at verse 13. He calls us somehow to rejoice insofar as we are sharing in Christ's suffering. So when we're suffering, we are sharing in his suffering. And we rejoice because we share in his suffering so that we may also rejoice when his glory is revealed and be glad. So the reason that we rejoice is because we're part of his own sufferings. So the more we share his sufferings, the more we're going to share his glory. That's the logic here. That the light and momentary affliction that we are experiencing right now is preparing somehow for us 
this eternal weight of glory. So what you suffer now will be more than balanced by the glory that will be revealed one day. It is making us glorious. It is making us shine. It's giving us luster. Uh, I, I typed in, you know, refinery. I wanted to see how gold was refined. I wanted to see a video of it. So typed in that in Google, and the video that came up was um, this very old refinery in London, one of the only ones in the world that makes 100% pure gold. And it's called Baird & Company. It's in East London. And uh, the more the bars of gold suffer, uh, the more they get glorious. They put them through a lot. The, the gold is put through many, many stages to get to that level of perfection. And in the end, they have a bar of gold that's worth $10 million. It's amazing to see this, this thing that is worth $10 million, an artifact worth $10 million because it is so pure and so glorious. And the whole purpose of our lives, according to Peter, uh, is to become glorious by participating in the sufferings of Jesus. So imagine becoming a person that is that solid, that is that substantial. You, have, you are a person of substance, where you're unshakable and you're weighty. The word for glory in Hebrew is kavod, and it means weight. It means you're a weighty person. You're unflappable. I listened to this uh, interview uh, with Richard Dawkins. You might know who that is. He's, a, he's probably the most famous atheist in the world. He teaches at Oxford University. And he's very famous for saying that it is wrong not to abort a Down syndrome fetus. In fact, he, 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 went, out, he went on to say if someone's blind or deaf, uh, same thing. You should screen out uh, what he would call these fetuses, they're people. Um, but um, he says the reason that it's wrong not to abort is because it decreases the overall happiness in the world. It decreases the... And, it, and people have been outraged for him saying this. Um, people have gotten very angry. But it turns out that, you know, about 90% of parents do screen for these things. And so um, it's not like people are doing differently from what Richard Dawkins just admitting publicly. And um, I think the idea behind what Dawkins is saying and what a lot of people do is because they would say, you know, you kind of have to scrap your whole idea of what you expected life to be like. You have to scrap what you considered was the good life, you know, with the different things you, you were hoping for with a, with a child. Uh, you, you kind of have to scrap retirement or vacations being the way they would have been or your child having dates the way they would have had or having grandkids or, you know, the career moves you could have had. You have to just get rid of all of that when you have a child like this, but what if the purpose of life was to be purified by suffering into the love of Christ? Then you see that in an entirely different way. Then that event, and we have parents at our church um, with special needs kids who have they've, it's changed their whole life. Their, their life is, is not what they would, would have thought would have been. But Peter is saying there's a deeper glory than the, the good life, the American dream. There's a much deeper glory. In verse 13, he says, Rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings. Because if you share in his sufferings, you're going to be more glorious. And that's why Peter says, don't be surprised. You know, the title here, expect suffering. Why would we be surprised when we suffer, if that's the whole point? Beloved, do not be surprised. A statue that is being created by the artist, statue of David by Michelangelo, it was not surprised when a large chunk of the lower half was cut off to reveal more of the glory of the, the leg of King David. Or 
A painting is not surprised when a you know, dark gray blob is added to it. When things become more glorious, you should not be surprised that God is bringing these things into your lives as though something strange were happening to you. He's kind of mocking them almost in a, in a, in a gentle way, but as, why, as if something strange were happening to you? Did you think that was, did you not expect that? When you signed up to follow Christ, when you were united with him, did you not expect that you would share in his suffering? As though something strange were happening? I, I saw this movie a week ago, and um, it's currently my favorite movie, and it's called uh, A Hidden Life. I don't know if you've seen A Hidden Life. It's, it's three hours long. Um, the director said to his friend, uh, arm yourselves with patience when you watch this movie. It's, uh, it, it takes patience. It's by Terrence Malick, who did The Tree of Life, and it's a true story. It's about uh, Franz and Fanny uh, Jägerstatter. Franz Jägerstatter. And they're this, this simple Austrian couple. They're kind of, they're, they're nobody in their village. Um, they're of no account. They work a farm, and the beautiful, the scenery's amazing. It's in, it's in uh, the, the Austrian Alps. And this, these, this land of gorgeous waterfalls and snow-capped, jagged peaks. And they have these three children Maria, Luisi, and Rosie, and a lot of the movie is just showing the joy of them being a family and doing their work uh, on their farm. A lot of the movie is just showing uh, their love for each other. But then at some point in the movie, he is asked to join the Nazi army. This really happened, and he's asked to salute Hitler, and he he just won't do it. And he can't even really explain why. He just won't. He's just, I don't feel right doing that. And they keep trying to get him. They put him in prison. His family is mocked in the village. They're spit upon, they're slandered, they're ostracized. As would have happened as people became more patriotic in Austria and you know, supported the Fuhrer. And uh, when he's in the prison, the Nazi guards keep telling him, Franz, you're wasting your life for nothing. Just sign the paper. You know, just, just go through the motions. And we'll put you in a, in a, in a um, commissary and you can just serve food. You don't even have to fight. Just, just say Heil Hitler. And um, you, you're, you're, you're you're going to lose your wife, your kids, your farm, for nothing, for no reason at all. And there was even a point in the movie where I wanted him to just do it, just sign the document. But Peter is saying no. Peter is saying, uh, verse nineteen, it's it's not meaningless, it's not random, it's it's not an accident um, to suffer that way. The the, the guards keep saying uh, there's no purpose to this suffering. Peter says, no, entrust your souls to him. We suffer according to his will. This is what, this is his plan. This is the story he wrote for your life. When you experience some huge setback that is not the way you thought it was going to go, tell yourself, this is the story that he wrote. And all those other stories I thought were there, that's not the story. Uh, Entrust your soul to him, to the author of your life. He made you, he owns you, and every day of your life is held in your hands. Held in God's hands every single day of your life. So contrast, you know, Jeff Bezos. I don't know if you saw the video of him walking in his little spacesuit to his rocket. Um, you know, hit, contrast that to Franz Jägerstatter, who is being beaten by guards and, and yet is giving his food to his fellow prisoners because he's becoming glorious. And that movie just, it just stayed with me all week. Just that the point, the point of it all is to become someone who knows how to, to suffer with love. 
to push through suffering with love. So who possesses the true glory there? I mean, who is the, who is the weighty person there? Peter says, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and God rests upon you. So you're being purified by your sufferings. That's point one. Again, 2 Corinthians 4.17, Paul says that every little ounce of your suffering prepares for you. It is used by God to create this eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Paul calls it a light and momentary affliction. Paul suffered more than probably anyone has ever lived. And he says it was a light and momentary affliction compared to the eternal weight of glory that he would receive one day. So that's point one. Point two is that uh, this is happening because the holiness of God just filled the earth when Christ came and died and rose. Look at verse 17. It took me a while to um, figure out what this meant. I had to ask some friends. I read some commentaries. Maybe it seems obvious to you, but Peter writes, the time for judgment to begin has come. And again, this is the, the time being the coming of Christ. We don't think of the coming of Christ as judgment, but that's what Peter's saying. The time for judgment to begin has come. He's not saying that one day will be a last judgment. That's true, but that's not what he's talking about. The time right now for judgment to begin has come. And it will begin, notice, with God's family. That's the church. So the judgment of God, when Christ came, starts with the church. Because holiness, you know, began to flood into the earth. And when holiness meets unholiness, there's, there's refinement. That's the judgment. It's discipline. It's God's discipline. And when you think about it, doesn't it make sense, if you're a parent, doesn't it make sense that you are, you are harder on your own kids than on the other kids? Even your cousins, your, your nieces, your nephews, um, the, the kids on the block. So we had our, you know, our two children played with children on the block. And, you know, if, 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 if the other kids showed disrespect or selfishness, I let it go. Because frankly, I don't, I don't care as much about them. But if my kids showed disrespect, selfishness, uh, if they hit some kid or made fun of them, then I would let them have it because I cared more about their holiness. And that's the way it is with God. With his own kids, um, with his own family, he's going to be much stricter. That's, what, that's probably what it means to be in the household of God. You signed up for him to be really, to discipline you. Um, to be really, in a way, stern. Loving, but, but stern. Listen to Amos 3.2. This is from the Old Testament. But, but Amos says, um, God is saying to Israel, look, you are the only family I know in the whole earth. It, you, of, of all the families, only you have I known. And therefore, I will discipline you. I will discipline you for your sins. Not I'm going to let you off the hook, but because I know you, of all the families of the earth, I will discipline you. And see, when Christ came, that went viral. So it was no longer, that was not the, the nation of God anymore. When, when Christ came, it, Israel went, you know, viral. It, it, it became Israel 2.0, and it went to the whole world. All the nations were now part of Israel because Jesus flooded the world with holiness. You know, when the curtain was torn, I don't know, we, you know the story when the curtain just kind of shredded itself. It just tore of its own accord. And the most holy place was the thing that the curtain was protecting. Because if, the mo- if you went in the most holy place as a sinner, you just died. You died because the holiness of God was, was so strong. And when the curtain tore, it was not so much that people could go into the most holy place. It was that the most holy place broke out 
on the earth. And holiness flooded the earth. Holiness poured out. And I thought about a really good depiction of that. It was in Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's kind of violent. It was very famously violent. I remember watching that when I was 11. And uh, that scene where the holiness, it's got that white light and the angels, you know, the Nazis are trying to use the ark as their weapon. And they lift the lid off the ark. And all of a sudden this bright light comes out and all the Nazi guards' faces like melt because the holiness is so powerful they can't stand it and and in the scene it doesn't show this but what if what if there were other people there that welcomed the holiness you know obviously the nazis were trying to use it they were not they did not have any interest in that holiness but what if there were others who stood up and they welcomed the holy they wanted the holiness see again when god's holiness comes in contact with our unholiness there's going to be pain there there's going to be suffering there it's there's got to be but either, that pain is either going to be felt in refining us or in annihilating us. And that's really the difference in belief and unbelief, is whether you want that holiness. Listen to verse 17. This is a scary verse, but this is a part of the Bible we cannot ignore. That if, if, if judgment is this hard on us right now, what about when it comes upon those who reject the good news? People who don't want anything to do with holiness. What this is saying is that there is going to be a day when the flood of holiness comes upon everyone. Verse 18, if the righteous are scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly? And so what Peter is saying is that holiness can hit you in two ways. There's two ways to approach the holiness of God. There is no way to ignore the holiness of God because the holiness of God is ultimate reality. So at some point, you're going to have to come in contact with it. And you can either encounter holiness with discipline right now, which is the slow and gradual acclimation to holiness, or you can have this sudden, just shocking encounter with holiness, like a, you know, like a bug just hitting a window, where one day, final reality will hit you. And it's going to be one of the two ways. And this meal is about how Jesus came, and in a sense, he was the one who, who was hit by that holiness, that he took the judgment, that he was crushed by it. And don't imagine that the cross coming and this meal that symbolizes the cross, don't imagine that that was like Jesus softening the edges of God or cooling his temper or like God became really nice, whereas he was formerly, you know, really judgmental. That's not, that's not the way to see the Old and New Testament. The, the New Testament, the coming of Jesus actually revealed more of the holiness of God. It revealed that this is what it looks like. You know, this is what our sin looks like when it comes in contact with God's holiness. It's a man dying on a cross, a man crucified on a cross. Romans 3.25 says that Jesus sacrificed his life to show God's righteous demand for punishment, to show God's holiness. But the good news of this table is that Jesus has substituted himself for you. And so he, he will take all of your judgment if you just give yourself to him. He'll, he will take all of your judgment. That, that holiness, he will protect you and shield you so that you can become gradually more acclimated. And, and so this, this leads us to this beautiful litany of communion. If you, if you want to take out your bulletins and join with me, um, this, this, this meal shows that, uh, that the, the Trinity is here, is, is filling this 
room with, with holiness. And this is how we can be in the holy presence of God and not be destroyed by it. So let's, uh, let's stand. And before I institute this supper, let's, let's read this, this beautiful litany. Is the Father with us? Is Christ among us? Is the Spirit here? This is our God. And we are his people. Let us proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed for us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Please be seated.